0: Fantastic. Climate. Future. Future.com.
1: And our guest is still here. Our guest oh. is still oh, here. Oh, goody, Drake. goody.
0: He's no. a strong man. He's a
1: strong man. <laughs> Well, as you you might realize, it's uh, Plastic Lab at future time again, Um, we made it. We we continue with our jingle and it's uh, (laughs) evening again. And luckily, our guests uh, are staying with us after these jingles. And uh, tonight we have someone very, very interesting. Um, not only as a person but also uh, regarding all his activities and uh, all I can say already it's gonna be a bit about ingredients about branding maybe a bit about cooking and kitchen Um, but first of all welcome Thomas
2: Hi Matt. Hi John. Uh, thanks for having me on uh, on your fantastic um, po- podcast <laughs> with the most right. amazing live performed jingle of all times.
0: Oh right. Oh right. Okay. All right. How much yeah. do we have
2: to pay you for this. We'll pay
1: you for this. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. We, we never tell the, the the audience that we actually pay the guests to listen. Yeah, to, I said, to say it. that you know. Thank you for saying that. You're five years <laughs> old. Yeah. But a great to have you here, Thomas. Um, you are coming from the company called Brained, and uh, you will tell us more about this one. Um, and as I already mentioned, uh, we will talk a bit about ingredient branding, uh, and there might be some connections mm-hmm. to cooking and kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe first of all, uh, who is Thomas? Where are you coming from? And uh, where are you tuning in uh, today? and uh yeah tell us more about your background about your person
2: yeah thanks for uh again having me um in this call uh today i'm calling in from uh, ljubljana which is the capital of uh, slovenia that's uh, where i live since about uh, 2010 so it's almost 12 12 13 years it's a uh, yeah country in the european union and um i call it uh, the one hour country because in one hour uh, you can (laughs) get to a lot of uh, attractive places Uh, you can get uh, to italy Uh, Places like Trieste uh, or Udine, you can get to Austria, uh, to beautiful lakes or skiing, you can get to Croatia, to the coast. Um, A little bit longer, you can also get to Hungary. Um, I'm not going that much in that direction. um so it's a it's a great place to live it's very green it's um also very sustainable uh, a lot of good activities going on i would say except of public transport mm-hmm. which uh, and particularly trains uh, which is unfortunately uh, makes us uh, use the car um, quite a lot to move around Yeah. originally i'm born in germany uh, from a my mother's uh, German, my father was from ex Yugoslavia, so I'm a immigrant uh, all my life. Uh, and I'm a, in Germany, uh, it's a Gastarbeiter child. Oh, wow. um, oh, wow. So I grew up in a yeah, multiple culture environment and literally I've been a migrant or immigrant uh, all my life. I spent a little bit of time in Switzerland, uh, a little bit of time in the US, um, worked a lot for American uh, companies. Um, Yeah, and uh, then decided uh, like more than 10 years ago to follow my passion for ingredient branding, which was born uh, in my role as a global brand manager for um, Gore-Tex, which which um, somehow brought me into the topic and then um, I thought it would actually be a pity uh, to let go on on this topic. And so I started to further elaborate uh, on that topic and also I think in the last 10 years was able to develop it further from the 1980s 1990s books and uh, intel inside etc mm-hmm, cases yeah. Mm-hmm. into yeah, sustainability circular economy and now also into the regenerative economy so we have now a first project where we are working on on regenerative materials but also more than the material itself bringing it into a yeah, regenerative community society economy and that's yeah, super interesting so i'm very thankful for all to all my clients um in the last 12 years who enabled me uh, to deal every time almost every time really with super super uh, interesting modern uh, projects and cases where i also personally could contribute Something back, you know. So helping sustainable materials to be more successful is also a way of contributing a little bit, you know, to a better situation.
1: Yeah. So two keywords already. I think uh, on one hand we we would have to also maybe give a bit of an insight or or outlook on what is actually ingredient branding. Yeah. And mm. another keyword that I. Personally, like very much is a regenerative economy yes. or regenerative cure. Yes. I think this is something yes. that we can dive into. Mm-hmm. Um, I also must say that we actually met at the World Biomarkets conference or event in The Hague uh, in May. And uh, I think this one was also a lot about, you know, regenerative innovations when it comes to materials. So that's kind of the connection that is that we have uh, to plastic climate future. And one thing that uh, you told us already off the record, there is actually even some uh, personal connection from your side to kitchen and cooking, right?
2: oh yes uh, I, I thought that was like off record, but as you are now asking it uh i was i was referring to my childhood uh, growing up uh, in in restaurants uh, in the you know late nineteen sixties nineteen seventies so my parents um they had, you know, different restaurants at different times in different places in Germany. So I was um, already at a very young age, maybe six uh, six years and then older, uh, running around in the restaurants, uh, playing in the kitchen, uh, looking what the people are doing, uh, serving uh, tables, uh, helping my parents. Um, yeah, literally all my on my childhood and uh, grow up time also replacing them uh, later when i was older as a student uh, replacing them when they went on holidays um but i also uh, at that time decided that i never want to go into the hospitality business (laughs) but
1: (laughs) Uh, the ingredient uh, thing stayed right
2: yes so so having good (laughs) ingredients to make a nice recipe (laughs) stayed and i'm also (laughs) a, a passionate cook Oh. uh myself so that stayed but uh the downside of you know this this life in the 1970s and 80s was for a family you know to have no free time to have yeah. no holidays yeah. uh, uh when i went to school on monday and then uh, the other guys in the school they said what they've did on the weekend you yeah. know with their parents yeah. and and we were working you know either my parents were working and we were helping them and so no Christmas, no Easter, no, uh, not much uh, uh, time together uh, as a family, unless uh, you did it in the restaurant. Um, so I said, because I studied then later, I studied actually tourism management and um, in in Germany, specializing in, in marketing. Uh, um, and then started, but started then to work for Motorola uh, at that time when we the gsm was launched um so i went into digital communication mobile communication because i, j- I still had that trauma to go and work <laughs> in the hospitality uh, mar- uh business no you know and, uh, no, no weekends <laughs> no holidays no uh, free yeah, time yeah.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. so
2: i actually studied it but i never uh, um, worked uh, in the sector so, so
1: what is ingredient branding then? Like now that we talked already about it. So and we know it's, it has nothing to do with the kitchen for now, right? It has something to do with the branding. Yes. Uh, can you just maybe explain it for as we always uh, used to say, we're a drunken five year old, because that's kind of our level of, of intellect.
2: Uh, <laughs> what i thought when when you would ask these questions i would actually turn it around and ask first you mm-hmm. you know uh what is it for you or what do you associate with the term ingredient branding and then uh, i could um, you know share my
1: yeah now that, since you already mentioned um, uh, uh, the intel inside thing uh, i it it just like Lit a light in my head, and I guess it's about you know, telling me like advertising a product uh, by what's inside rather than what the product does. Maybe I don't know, John. What would you say? Yeah, I
0: mean, uh, indeed, exactly. Uh, the intel inside uh, uh, linkage to ingredient branding is like really almost hardwired, and, and I, I mean, uh, I, I, I over the years have been involved with discussions and product developments and so on uh, of of the type where we, we, we even tried to say, ah, let's, let's make this the Intel side inside of X or Y or Z. So it's become like uh like a, a, an iconic template, Mm, you know, so so it's out there in a big, big way. And then the fact that you were global brand manager for Gore-Tex, I mean, uh, it's like, okay, um, I, of course I got Gore-Tex all over my place too you know and uh wow the fact that you know that's a great example of 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 uh, when it comes to materials so so uh, yeah I would think of Gore-Tex as well so so uh these things I mean indeed um in terms of how you know the marketing uh it is it, it, not co-branding uh, what is it what well, uh, it's it's different than co-branding uh, so, so that's what I know. I'm just, but we, we, use it, uh, the, the intelligence side thinking, uh, back in the day as well, thinking, thinking we did anyway.
2: Yeah. I mean, you can, if you go uh, to the academia or the literature that has been created and published around ingredient branding, I would say mainly mm-hmm. in the, again, 20 years plus back, you know, mm-hmm. there came out some definitions of ingredient branding, yeah. like a yeah, very yeah. famous one is from Kotler, it says you know it's the it's a it's a brand within a brand uh, but for me that's not specific enough you know and and what as you said it's it's some kind of uh, pro- or the promotion of a component um that ends up in a in a finished product and also you know in the books there is a lot of t- time spent on the definition, you know, what is co-branding? What is ingredient mm-hmm. branding? What is co-marketing? Yeah. I don't give much about
0: yeah, how you,
2: how you call it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and mm-hmm. for me, I always say it is, a it is a specific go to market model, which also in, already Includes that it's not only about promotion, you know, it's really more a business model and, a, and the mm-hmm. supply chain model mm-hmm. that you apply because you would like to get more value out of your innovation so our mission at brand at brand, uh, for example is you know we want to help innovators get more value out of their in- innovation and now in the last years out of their sustainable innovation and we want them to leave the role of a supplier because if you imagine you know people invent things invent technologies, new materials, could also be services. And I'm a little bit like donkey shot of those material companies, because if you look at the power play in the supply chains, you know, the power is with the brands and the power is with retail. So retail and brands, they own the access to the consumers and they have a certain habit of, you know, how they work with the supply chains. And that habit is often not very friendly, right? So if you're a supplier, you are really powerless. Right. Uh, And you are treated as a supplier and the brands and retailers, they also always have that reflex. They want exclusivity, you know, they want something to be, you know, that only they will get it. And if they have it, that gives them a competitive advantage. And then Adidas can play out against Nike or uh, Arcteryx can be better than North Face or uh, whoever. But with the ingredient brand uh, exclusivity, for example, is not a good thing. So what, what you want is in the ingredient brand model is you want to make your innovation. And that's my definition of ingredient branding. You want to make your innovation a relevant component, a relevant component mm-hmm. for the buying decision of mm-hmm. the finished product. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, in the ultimate sense, that's probably not always possible for every ingredient brand. But, you know, the ultimate outcome in also in my time when we were working for Gore, you know, we said we want the people, we want people to go into the store and say, I want to buy a Gore Tex jacket, even though Gore Tex doesn't make jackets. Right. So, I'm actually giving a wrong information to the retailer because there are no gore-tex jackets right there are only jackets from gore customers who made a jacket with gore-tex material and this is so so the component is driving the the buying decision it's influencing the buying decision i want to buy that component well and now you have when you do then the whole strategy in the marketing where we do uh, then you have two possibilities only if you want to achieve that one is you are relevant by default, right? So so your component is the most important component in that finished product. And by default, you are relevant. Mm-hmm. That's the easier part, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk, you know, too much about about Gore. You know, we had lots of other projects, but if you make a waterproof jacket, you know, uh, then that you have a waterproof technology is a core component by default, right? Um, so then, it's maybe a little bit easier. And the other possibility on on the branding on the positioning side is you have to make your rele- your component relevant. So you have to do some kind of branding and marketing that makes your re- your component relevant. And I give you one example from another client uh, many years ago. It's a Swedish company. It's called We Are Spindai, and you know they were promoting. Uh, a waterless uh, dyeing of polyester right so so now there are more companies and the many companies who do that and let's say until a few years ago consumers and users they couldn't care less about how their garments were dyed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right until we moved into the sustainability a debate and more and more things came up you know and then they realized and they would know it even from the 15th century in the european cities you know that dying of textiles is a pretty toxic and dirty thing you know and it needs tons of water lots of chemicals it's dangerous for the workforce and so on and so forth so in a case like that, when you want to make let's say waterless dyeing a relevant component, you probably have to first stage the problem uh, that people are at all aware, you know, that dyeing garments is bad or is, is not uh, very sustainable. And then again, you can come in and say, and look, and I have the solution. Right. And what what you're trying to do then with this, how I say, go to market model is you build awareness and demand for your ingredient, you know, with the customers of your customers. And by that, you create this pull function, you know, and when this pull starts to work it takes years it doesn't go in a week or in a month you know so you generate that pull and all of a sudden then the brands or the retailers they are coming to you and said oh you know the people are coming to our store they're asking for your material Uh, can we test that can we have that and then your power play situation changes then you are not anymore negotiating out of the position of a supplier you know they come to you and they Perceive you more as a business partner. That's what we're trying to do. You know, we're oh, trying. Yeah, you no, know, that's what we're trying to do with our clients. Help them to become business partner on eye level uh, with uh, with their brand partners and retailers. So they create a triple win. You know, it's good for the inventor or for the innovator who uh, invented the material. It's good Mm -hmm. for the brand because they have a better sellout or they can achieve a price premium or they have a better quality. They need to have some benefit of it. And Mm -hmm. it's also good for retail because those products maybe sell out better, faster Mm -hmm. or by any other criteria. Mm -hmm. And
1: what are like regarding the the clients is you mentioned like, you know, basically material innovators, right? so why do why do you think this ingredient branding uh is also very relevant for sustainable material innovators is it because we're now everyone is talking about sustainability or do they have any particular um yeah offering or any particular challenge as compared to maybe non-sustainable innovators <laughs>
2: for me this was like a creeping process you know to mm-hmm. move into sustainability when i when i started my company um uh, end of 2011 we we did not in we we did not have the mission or or a vision to uh, do a particularly uh, sustainability projects but mm-hmm. somehow um one of our very first project was for an italian company called aquafil and uh, yeah. they uh, um, launched at that time a, a new brand it was called Econul, or it's still called Econul, and it's extremely successful and uh, when we worked on that project in 2012 um, it was the first time that we realized that uh, okay here's a new material that or here's a material that has the chance to become an ingredient brand that is not better performing than the material it is trying to replace. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, oh, out of yeah. that and a few other projects, I developed uh, a model, which you can also see on my website, um, around next generation ingredient branding, where we said the uh, first generation ingredient brands, which I think we can say, the has, has been invented by DuPont. I mean, okay, we call it the DuPont model, and nylon, and Cordura, and a lot of brands that have been introduced by DuPont in the from the 1950s, 60s, 70s, Nomex, and then also pursued by uh, Gore Tex, Polartec, uh, Primaloft, and others. You know, they were all based on a proprietary technology uh, that was patent protected and that made a product better, right? They made products better. They started to deliver uh, performances that were before mutually exclusive, like waterproof and breathable, warm when wet. You know, they were they were giving uh, an, a new performance uh, to the to the brands and the retailers, made their products better. And now we were doing this Econil case, and we realized that, um, and the company also very openly uh, spoke about that, that, that the, the functionalities of the regenerated nylon are exactly the same as the one of virgin nylon. right? It was not worse, but it was exactly the same. So it was clear we cannot build that brand on performance anymore. and um, and then in, we looked at the whole model and obviously, in two thousand and twelve, the whole discussion around ocean plastic just started, and the topic of discarded fish nets was completely new, right? Nobody. Or I would say nobody in brackets, but I would say the large majority of the public have has never heard about the term discarded fishnets. You know, people had no idea how huge the impact of discarded fishnets is. What percentage of plastic waste in the ocean is coming from the fishing industry? So I think we realized that this was a very very important element. To build the, up uh, the, uh, the brand, you know, around that waste stream and around, you know, recycling discarded fish nets and other um, nylon waste. So, and then we created uh, the entire story together with the client, and it came out as as this material that was, yeah, not better in the sense of performance, but it was also better for the world you know because it was addressing uh, this problem and from that moment on uh, we saw uh, many more of those cases um, happening and um, met as you are now mentioning uh, the bioeconomy now we're moving into a third stage which makes it also very very difficult for many of those companies and that is that Mm. the next gen materials are actually often performing less good yeah. than the materials they are trying to replace, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I That's believe, and I believe that this is not sustainable in a different in mm-hmm. a different mm-hmm. form. So this is leading to um, a lot of disappointment mm-hmm. uh, on a consumer level, but it's also leading to uh, huge problems on the um, yeah with your brands and with your customers because you need to deliver um constant quality um and consumer have certain expectations and a good example where you can see that is um with a uh, what so-called vegan leather you know mm-hmm. which from my definition shouldn't be called leather but uh, it's uh <laughs> yeah it's, it's like, not a leather you, you know, know for me, me a leather. <laughs> Right. Yeah, for me, uh, (laughs) leather still refers uh, to a hide of an animal. So I I would also give it a new name and not trying to copy somebody Uh, because, uh, you know, build your own identity. But what you saw is, you know, now Tesla started this whole revolution that luxury cars, you know, have to uh, be leather free and and now after 2 3 years the cars are coming back you know those products they are not fit for use you know in they are standing in Arizona or in Spain in the sun you know there is 90 degrees there is uh there is abrasion there is stress on the material and now you see more and more photos of you know the car seats how they are um yeah are damaged uh And also you see a lot of those materials, these biomaterials go into kind of prototype, luxury fashion kind of talking pieces. Um, And people do handbags with it, you know? And why do they do handbags? Because there's not a lot of stress um on a handbag you know to do it to do a footwear is much more difficult you know to do a shoe that you wear years every day that puts much more stress on the material so what i want to say the sustainability aspect became stronger from 212 to 15 we saw more and more ingredient brands that were more purpose orientated and delivered an added value to the brands and retailers, not based on the performance of the materials, and this will bring us now to the regenerative part. Mm-hmm. You know, with which uh, where we will see even uh, a higher influence of that.
0: Before Matt, Matt before we get into that, question, you you mentioned regenerative. I mean, I think that that's it. Yeah, I'll let you tackle that if, if, in a minute, if that's okay, because I I'm, I'm curious, but I think. You maybe know more about that than I do. Um, but for me, before we go into that, if I can just quickly, I can't I can't hold back anymore. Uh listening to what you're saying, Thomas. Uh and I've I've taken many notes here and and a few things uh that that just kind of I want to reflect on with you and connect with you based on some of the things that you've talked about, some of the specific companies and uh so on. Just just it's incredible what I would call maybe the synchronicity of this moment. Um uh but but coming to uh like looking at let's take Intel inside as as the 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 example for, for someone like me who doesn't have the experience in this area. And then look at uh uh industries that are like in, 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 in say we, we talk a lot about plastic on plastic climate future for you, you, at least 33% of the reason you can know why just by the title, right? Uh, uh, but but uh, we're also looking at solutions to you know, the problems of plastic waste. And, and before we get to regenerative, uh, which I hand over to Matt here, uh, the circularity thing, we talk about circularity, circular economy, uh, and you know um, that could be a buzzword and that could be an implemented reality, right? Uh, and it's gonna take a lot of, it takes a lot of innovation on the part of technology but also uh, on the part of innovation that, that that's been uh, sometimes neglected, and that's the innovation on the story that you tell, how you uh, position, so on. And and when I when I think of like for example, uh, chemical recycling as as a, a possible piece of the puzzle of of, of, of increasing circularity for plastics, going back to plastics uh, via chemical recycling um there's so much complexity there uh, in terms of the technology uh uh and and so so that that's a, a problem uh, how how could that type of uh industry with that type of challenge uh, uh use in- ingredient branding down the chain to the brand uh to where where they're able to say Okay, um, you buy my you buy my my candy, and it's packaged with packaging product that is made of X percent um, sustainable, chemical recycled, or whatever. How would you apply like this to that particular challenge? Sorry, I got a little bit specific and long winded.
2: Mm. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I think one word that uh, is maybe new or newer. to the ingredient brand world when it comes to circular economy is collaboration, right? Uh, The old model, as I said, the first generation model is a child of the linear economy. And the linear economy is very much about competition, about competing, about protecting your property. You have patents. You don't want to work with anybody else. And you go to the clients and say, look, I have a specific solution for your problem. So please uh, use my products and use my ingredient brand. I think from from Ellen MacArthur to Business of Fashion to Copenhagen to Amsterdam, uh, whoever, I think we all agree that Problems to solve on the circular economy, let's say, in the textile, fashion, fibers, materials world Mm -hmm. are so huge that no single company can come up uh, with a solution. I think if you launch a sustainable fiber of fabric in the year 2025... Right, and you go to a trade show like the Performance Days or uh, Munich Fabric or um, any fabric or fiber show, and you go and you have a booth and you put and you say, "Oh, I have a recycled fabric, or I have a recycled fiber," and that's all what you offer. You will always remain a supplier because if you think and act like a supplier, you will remain a supplier. Right. So you have to be more creative. Um, you have to think about what else can I do as that material company? You have to think about what is happening with my product, with my material when it's leaving my factory. Do I want to take any responsibility? You know, if you make a sustainable fiber and you allow it to be blended with a, a virgin uh plastic material Mm -hmm. you know you are generating more of the problem that you are trying to solve before Mm -hmm. right so you need to have more responsibility eco design is extremely important and i think that's where a lot of how i called self-declared ingredient brands fail you know self-degraded self-declared ingredient brands are companies suppliers who go on a trade show uh, put a lot of fabric or fibers on the table and then they show they say oh we have a hang tag you know and we are an ingredient brand but you are not becoming an ingredient brand by self-declaration you know you're becoming an ingredient brand because people out there know you And not only know you, but love you or respect you or create some kind of relationship. (laughs) And that's where we a lot of the first contacts we have with customers don't go on because we tell them you have to be more if you want to be a brand, you have to be more than your product because if if your brand is the same as your product then you are not a brand then you are a product with a name mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah and uh, and here i think i also would jump in because it's kind of uh brings up a bit the elephant in the room like uh you know you have to kind of move very much on the edge between how much do you communicate to really be more <laughs> than you are and be aware that you don't fall into the greenwashing trap right
2: yes thank god Um, we have now uh, legislation is kicking in here you know we need that uh, Uh urgently so everything from the Now stemming from the von der Leyen uh, Green Deal into uh, legislations, but also in other areas in New York, very strong in California, in France, in the UK, everywhere we see more um, legislation, obviously the single uh, plastic uh, use directive uh, and so on would. By in brackets, would also be great if somebody would police that. Because if I go to a supermarket, I can buy all of those items uh, uh, that are forbidden by the SUP. They're still around, right? So, I don't know if somebody's really controlling uh, controlling that. But it helps, right? Legislation helps. Uh, greenwashing, um, blackmailing helps. And uh, I would I would say it like this: If you greenwash today as a brand, it is only embarrassing to yourself for yourself. You know, um, in and <laughs> if you want nice. if you want that as a brand, congratulations, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. But soon yeah. you will be fined for that, right? Soon you will pay penalties for doing that and in the ultimate phase maybe somebody from your company will go to prison right and i think when that the first case is happening that will, that will be the slowly the end of a greenwashing but there's also a lot of un uh, uneducated people, you know, who have no idea that very soon they cannot say those things anymore. You know, when I go to websites, uh, surf around, you know, everybody says, oh, we are great for the planet. We save the world. We do this. We do this. So I think there is intended greenwashing, which is really bad. There is also unintended greenwashing by people who are just not knowledgeable. So we also need a lot of education and publicity um around that and here is is a huge opportunity for the for ingredient branding because if you as an ingredient brand have the complete transparency of your supply chain you know and It's, whatever, tracked, you know, through blockchain or through other technologies. You're totally open. You say, this is where the raw material is coming from. This is where we are making it. This is how we are making it. This is what we do with our waste and with our chemicals and so on. And you as a brand communicate that whole process, you know, and then the the brand that is using your material, you know, can say, oh, thank God for that part of the product. We don't have to do our own stuff anymore, right? So literally the ingredient brand at the moment helps brands and retailers to reach or to prove certain SDG achievements or delivers proof points to their environmental story. But then again, you also need to say, uh, what do I allow? with my material to happen after it's leaving my own factory. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think there is a growing responsibility um, for that. And many shy away from this because a lot of the ingredient brands, as I said, are more in a supplier m- mode. And in a supplier mode, the salespeople are very strong, but the salespeople are not necessarily the one that helps you to build a brand because, you know, they go to the client and say, look, you can have my material, but... You know, these are my conditions A, B, C, D, E, and then the client says, "Are you crazy? uh, You know, I'm never going to sign that. And uh, I'm I only, but I'm going to buy one million tons from you unbranded. You know, and then the sales guy goes back home and said, "Look, guys, I tried. You know, they don't do it. But if we want, we can sell one million tons of material X, Y, Z unbranded." And then you have a CFO, or then you have a stock listed company. They need to make their business and say, okay, let's sell this stuff unbranded, you know. And then Uh, when you work like this, you don't build an ingredient brand.
1: And what is the link now? Because you said, like, I mean, it's kind of sounds also, of course, you need collaboration. And this is kind of, you know, the circular economy link. So uh, how is then the evolution from this, uh, yeah, let's say, Collaborative approach where you, you know, you as a sustainable material innovator, you need to work with your brand. The brand needs work to work to you, with you to, you know, really create this circularity value chain. So, how do we then go towards uh, what you mentioned in the beginning the regenerative? economy thinking how does that link to to this yeah,
2: maybe one uh, one uh important point on this uh, i call it vertical brand collaborations right so you have in the textile industry you have a for example you have a long chain you know from the raw material to or from the waste you know then you get some kind of a pulp or some kind of a raw material it gets a yarn gets a fiber gets a membrane in it or no membrane or an insulation it gets treated coated whatsoever dyed. Uh, so it could be seven eight nine ten steps until the garment is made then there's also an ingredient brand like fair wear, uh, which would uh, address the social aspect of of the finished product so how is it made by whom is it made where is it made and so on so not only the environmental part and now we see that companies jump into those collaborations what from my perspective uh they forget most of the time forget or not really seriously think through is okay if we are now four or five six brands collaborating in this collaboration and each of that brand has a promise you know what's actually the promise of that finished product that comes out of that collaboration mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and to which brand in, to which ingredient brand do I associate which part of that promise or value yeah, yeah
1: uh,
2: right. that is a a big uh, open field where every time I ask these questions when I talk to with people um, uh, who uh, do these kind of collaborations, they look me a little bit with big eyes and say, oh, yeah, that's a good question. You know, so this brings new challenges. The old world was singular. One ingredient brand says, I have this technology and I give that promise, right? And that's very clear. And now three, four, five, six, seven are working together. And for me, it's often not clear at all what who's giving which promise, uh out of this collaboration. I, I think we will have a lot of work in that in that field in the next couple of years. So now to come to your point of regeneration or a regenerative economy, which is as unknown and new as it discarded fish nets was 2012. And uh what we do now here a first project with a company from Canada on hemp fibers or in bust fibers Uh, and that as I said goes beyond sustainability and why is that needed because the word sustainability contains the word sustain and sustain means to sustain a status quo right but if the if the earth temperature rises 1.5% at the moment uh, to sustain that status is not sustainable yeah. right we need to go if biodiversity is bad you know we don't want to sustain that level we have to regenerate that level so it means we have to do things to get earth temperature down we have to do things to get biodiversity up we have to do uh we have to help communities uh, to uh, regenerate that's what it, what what it means so it is not only remaining the status quo but improving the situation and uh, give you one example uh, for example for hemp uh for for this for this brand uh, it's called zero uh, a company it's called bus fiber tech and and it has so many dimensions so it's not only that hemp is a fantastic material that it's uh it helps to regenerate the soil uh, it is massively good for biodiversity and you can make decisions like um harvesting it 2 weeks after the blossoming you know and by that increase uh the biodiversity in that region um, massively. But what they also think about is to regenerate, for example, unused facilities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can do a lot of brownfield manufacturing because you can use uh, previously resources from the cotton industry. They also help to regenerate communities. So just think about tobacco farmers uh, cotton farmers uh, in the you know in the US even um indian native indians you know so if if you help them to grow hemp you know which is a regenerative fiber uh you help not only you help to regenerate the soil but you also help to regenerate the community you know and you make a product that at the end of the day is biodegradable um, or can be uh, even used for, um, as a fertilizer or other things. So, it is, it is not only about what the product is doing. So, the regenerative aspect includes also the wider topics that go beyond environmental and, and social. Yeah, it, it is also social in some kind of way.
1: So you think this is will be now kind of like the next step from circular economy to the regenerative economy? And I can tell you one thing because it's not such a topic that no one knows about. Because um, I, uh, by accident, I happened to looked into uh, looked into this uh, regenerative economy. Uh, donut economics and uh, all these concepts since uh, many many uh, months or uh, many years already. So I'm I'm also seeing this as a you know the little alternative towards or the next step from the circular economy, and um, I also follow course some of these developments and maybe you've you've seen it also like there was recently an article published in Forbes that Vivo barefoot this, uh, yeah. this shoe company is uh, also seeing this as a future concept and um, also you know Houdini the other brand that's uh, fantastic, going also into thinking further than just you know super- being efficient rather than being effective right in
2: the end so yeah. and it's about re- restoring and not exploiting you know and yeah, we can yeah, have but... a, we can have a philosophical discussion as you are also a bit more open uh, not so much business but i mean <laughs> you can ask the theoretical question if in a growth based economy uh, sustainability or regeneration is at all possible Right, and but we could then say, what are the alternative economical models yeah. that that exist? Right, I mean, as long as companies are still um, forced to grow EBITDA by double-digit numbers per quarter, you know, I don't see that that goes very well together with a regenerative economy uh, yeah, economic yeah. theory. Right, so.
1: So but that's that's where you also see, like a kind of also your shift of your, you know, uh, branding activities going into this direction. So you already mentioned this first. Uh, yeah, it's very stuff. new. You know, it's it's uh, our
2: first project. But mm-hmm. um, also when I think about what motivates me, you know, what uh, what do I really like about my job is, mm-hmm. you know, that we had all these fantastic projects in the last 10 years, which as I said, by default became all sustainability projects mm-hmm. because that that uh, next generation ingredient brands who deliver, you know, not performance but purpose, be it environmentally, be it socially, be it from a storytelling perspective, that. Introduced us to so many great projects and great people, and now with this new project in the Bust fiber segment, it's it's just opens opens us up uh, to this regenerative world. But we're just starting to learn, you know, and that's what I mm-hmm, mm-hmm. also love about uh, about that that job is that uh, for sure. Uh, in my time at Gore, I learned a lot of the basics from one of the most admired brands in that area. But since then I've done, you know, maybe 60, 70 projects. And so this is now more of a collaborative um, knowledge and expertise that we've built up from many, many cases, many, many stories that uh, Mm -hmm. are around.
1: And probably also a community, right? Yes. because uh, you know you get in touch also with with uh, progressive and innovative people and they get in touch with other progressive innovative people with the same mindset and like this it's kind of spurring also the these innovations in a community right
2: oh that's a great uh, a great buzzword uh, or uh, community is uh, in covid you know we had um Or even before COVID, we got more and more startups who contacted us, you know, and they said, yeah, I know we want to be ingredient branding, but, you know, we don't have so much money like this brand or that brand. But how can we also um, participate in in your knowledge or access your knowledge? And then we we've created a a second brand. It's called the Braindery and uh, the Braindery is actually our education platform. So uh, we've. Um, developed a masterclass format where those startups kind of build their own ingredient brand, and we just guide them with our process. So we took all this knowledge from our forty thousand hours and developed kind of a process. What are the uh, the most important things? And in the first round, we had these, you know, startups, different countries, different industries, and what they really liked was the fact that they did it together, because what the startups want is a They don't want you to come in and say this is the solution and b they also would again they want to do it collaboratively they want to do it together and this brings us to our last question we have a plastic
1: climate future playlist on spotify and uh, for this we always ask our guests to to mention one or two songs um that either connect to their activities or to the person or That uh, are suitable for, you know, uh, community uh,
2: platform launch parties. Okay, I I give you three. I give you three. I give you three. Very uh, good. Very good. The first one very quick. It's uh, from the Stereophonics, uh, the song oh. Plastic California, no, uh, be- I know because it. I think it fits very good uh, to your podcast. Yes. And why I like it is Plastic California because somehow, you know, it's it's this ambiguity in California. that first they started all the plastic, you know, in the nineteen fifties, mm. and so, and now they're also very active in getting rid of it, you know, so yes, um, yes, <laughs> uh, I, I, I like that. Then I have to add uh, a Brit rock uh, song to it because I was always more on the bridge rock side than on the American. So from Bay City Rollers and Sweet to Queen, and uh, and then in 1979 we went for a pupil exchange to London, uh-huh. you know, and there were punks, Carnaby Street, and new wave, and uh, there was a band called the Jam, uh, f- oh, uh, by Paul cool. Weller, and uh, yeah, so I, and uh, so that song of that time was called "Going Underground." So I would cool. I add, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> "Going Underground" from from the Jam, also because I like. And it's a bit like also in my life, it's a mid of forces you know that he went through. He was a new wave guy with mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. the jam then in the eighties, he was like style council mm-hmm. um very uh popper mod uh style music, and now he's still around uh as as very authentic as Paul Weller making great music and uh It's just this lifetime development through uh, which we all go in different phases um, of of our life. And to conclude, I I obviously, the third song, uh, to add some spice from the Balkans, you know, as we talked about the ingredients, uh, I must recommend uh, a song um, from the Balkan region. You know, we had so many great musicians and, uh, and artists, it was really difficult to pick one. So, I will send you the link. It's a song, it's called Balkan Way by a guy called uh, Gusti. And, it's, uh, and uh, there is a quote in it uh, about uh, this part of the world, which is sometimes not so easy to be understood by everybody. And uh, And he sings, we can love and we can fight. It doesn't matter who is right, so,
1: <laughs> so I think that's
2: that's very typical for for our region, you know. So there's there's a lot of emotions, you know. There's uh, and um, it adds some spice, I think, to your to your playlist. Oh, that's great! That is so, that is so very cool. Great.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, and I I have so many other questions that we wanted to talk about, but I see there's there's so so much depth in in, the, in this discussion, and I think uh, as John already mentioned, um, we should definitely have a follow up. Um, maybe
0: I got to jump in real quickly here to say this, uh, Thomas and, and Matt can attest, and so can our our, our listening public. Um, it's very rare. Uh, that we have a guest on that that keeps me quiet for so long <laughs> because I'm just that. listening to everything you're saying, brother. Just really, really, really. Uh, <laughs> what a journey! I mean, just what a journey! Uh, and you know, I tip my hat. Where 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 I, where I had to be wearing one? <laughs> yes, thank you and very you're much. Yeah. A lot of
1: time editing. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: thank
2: you. You you are very valuable. You know how to shut me up. That's great. <laughs> Sorry, so John, you can give me another call and we can talk about all the topics you had on for, <laughs> uh, for plastic. And you know, as you know, plastic is a great material. It's just unfortunately used uh, in many, many wrong applications because oh, the wow. material itself, there's nothing wrong with plastic, but there's a lot of wrong with making plastic bags and all kind of throwaway stuffs. But if we have, you know, uh, I'm having plastic containers uh, in my kitchen since 20 or 30 years um, and if they in the future can be easily uh, recycled and reused, uh, there's, so there's actually nothing wrong with the material itself.